episode 66 of the Just Jiu-Jitsu podcast. I am your host, Andrew Desimone, with my other host, Croiler Gracie. Oh, sorry. Usually I'll let you say that. That's okay. You introduced me better than introduced myself. You know what? Let's switch it up this time. Rewind. You do the you do the intro, okay? You can do it however you want. No, it's not a good idea. Three, two, <laughs> one, action. Just welcome to the Just You Just You Podcast, however you want to do it. Welcome to the Just You Just Podcast. There you go. And you are? <laughs> I'm Corey Gracie with... Andrew Desimone. Look at that. Okay. All right. That wasn't bad. There's room for... That was horrible. <laughs> you know, some people say when you talk, uh, like on the phone or something, smile as you speak so people can hear the, the mirth and happiness coming from your voice. So maybe next time, smile when you say that. Do you want to try it now with a big smile on your face? No, that's right. You sure? Okay. All right. I'm positive. All right. Well, uh, how, how are you holding up? We're, I don't know. I don't even know how long it's been now. Has it been a couple of years since we've done jujitsu? It's been far too long. What was it? Was it 2012 the last time we trained? Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I mean, it feels that way for me. Yeah, you had your your wrist surgery this week that we talked about last week, where they removed the ganglion cyst from your your is it yeah. your right wrist? My right wrist, yep. And how did that go? Well, um, it went. Let's see. Um, all right, <laughs> took longer than they thought, which is fine. But other, other than that, the recovery so far has been good. Well, not not a lot of pain. You uh, mentioned. You mentioned. What is your resting heart rate? My resting heart rate? Yeah. Like, it's like mid four, mid 40s. Why? That's sickening. That, what? <laughs> I, 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 you, you say that with the same glib attitude of you talking about people who get sick and you not getting sick. You're, you're like, oh, hi, I'm Corla. I don't get sick and my resting heart rate is 42. <laughs> what does yours pray tell? 74? My goodness. <laughs> so let's give some background to this. So, no. So the only reason why the resting heart rate got brought up is because they were concerned when they had to put me in with under, like with anesthesia, that it would, I would bottom out because I was so low. Right. And then did they say, just out of curiosity, uh, what's your IQ? We're concerned you're too intelligent to put under anesthesia. <laughs> People who have an IQ over 140 are at risk of becoming too smart. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, well, so as we alluded to, um, if you're listening to this from the distant future this is taking place during the corona outbreak and so these are the corona chronicles and we are recording over zoom as opposed to face to face as we prefer to do it as i prefer to do it i don't know maybe you prefer to do it over zoom because you're uncomfortable being around me no no i'd rather do it in person thanks so you're not uncomfortable being around me no that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Thank you. You're well. You're welcome. Yeah. And it's recorded, so you'll you'll never forget that. There for for, pos- for posterity. That's um, right. So, you know, have you seen the overall? Have you seen the overall mood, the zeitgeist of the jujitsu community 
has it shifted or changed it at all since day one of closures to week four or five or six or however yeah, long man. it's been? There's been a huge shift. What what what's the shift been that you've noticed? <laughs> oh, I mean, there's there. I've seen everything from desperation to like suicidal thoughts to like you know i've seen people that are just saying you know screw it you know we're gonna do this like i've seen i've seen everything you know that there's there's a school um that made news in california they opened early they said basically yeah they basically said we'll take our chances it's you know three percent mortality if you don't think you can handle that then stay home and they kind of put it on the students, you know, and I've seen, um, you know, and, and, and whatever your thoughts, whatever your thoughts are on the situation, you know, they are doing that out of desperation because I think if the students were paying and if the students were supporting that school, maybe he wouldn't feel that need, that desperation that I must open and, and, people's lives in jeopardy or maybe he doesn't believe in it at all which is fine too but can't speak for for them um i've seen i actually watched a video today i was sent a video today somebody did a four minute youtube video about how it's okay the jiu-jitsu isn't around and it's going to come back and just imagine how good it'll feel to step back on the mats it'll be like your first time all over again it's kind of poorly worded, I think, but you, you get the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, I, I think there's something to that. But there's also, it also makes you think about the effect this will have on jujitsu, especially, I mean, how many gyms do you think can last uh, through two, three months off? I mean, I think, I think, I think about 10% of the schools in the country are gone realistically um i think you know it'll be an exponential growth you know here in indiana technically you can't operate a jiu-jitsu school until july 4th group classes anyways so you know i don't know what that'll do if it's like that countrywide we may see 20 percent of the schools not not recover from this yeah um it's i mean it's a huge thing you know um i saw I saw a post from Aid Black Belt that um, that said, you know, why, you know, I'm, I'm closing my school, it's done. You know, I can't operate because I can't even offer my students online videos because everyone else is offering online videos. So why would they pay me for that? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, and it's it's rough, you know, the competitors are, are not doing much better either. There's a lot of people that try to make jiu-jitsu their main source of income. They're just professional athletes and, and there's no competitions right now, so there's no money to be made. Um, there was a post by a black belt that um, I quasi know, and he, he made a post and he basically said he's just done. He's like, you know, he's like, I gave up my entire life to become a jiu-jitsu competitor. I moved across the country, you know, I get here and it's done. Yeah. Like, oh, be like, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, like competitions will start back up. And he's like, no, because what's going to happen is people are going to start getting desperate and they're going to flood jiu-jitsu schools and, and it's going to spread. And as soon as that starts to spread, there's going to be another shutdown 
and his like competitions aren't recovering from this for a while. And he basically he's like on a complete like total like depression, like he's just done, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the moods has shifted quite a bit. I think <laughs> yeah, that, the that, last few weeks. It is sad, and I imagine it's it's even harder if you're a school in a big city where your overhead is so expensive right where you have two thousand dollars or more just to just to rent the space out um that you can't most people can't just foot that bill and then as far as the athletes being out of commission athletes from pretty much every sport are out of commission but whereas the where you have the nfl and those organizations and players who are out Yes, they're out, but they make so much money that they can they can they're get fine. by. Yeah, they're oh, fine. <laughs> yeah, except for like the top one percent of probably the jujitsu competitors, uh, most of those people don't make very much. Yeah, money. I mean, okay, I only think maybe five or six competitors in the jiu-jitsu community are doing okay right now. Right. Uh, not percent. I mean, total, and and I think that the the rest are kind of making do with what they can so if you see a lot of schools close what does that what does that do for jujitsu does it does it do you have a lot of consolidation so schools will become larger because you have this mixing of people who are just you'll have some people who their school closes and they probably just say okay well i'm done but i feel like a lot of people will look for a closer or another school to it depends it depends you know um the logical thing would be and if your school closes, you'd find another school in your area and you would move into that school. And I think you would see a little bit of that. I think you would also see a lot of people that are too afraid to go into a new school. You know, not, not if you're white or blue belt so much, but I think as you go up and through the ranks, purples and browns, for whatever reason, I feel like they would think that they're not welcome. You know, and I'm not saying that that's the reality. I just think that's what they would think. You know, uh, maybe they've competed against this, the, the rival school in town, but the rival school in town is the one that survived. So am I welcome there? Will they treat me well? Or am I just going to go there, pay a month and get beat up? You know, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would imagine that the schools that survive will, will blossom faster because there there will be absorption of students. I just don't know if it'll be like an even trade. Like if a school has 50 students and it closes that some other school gets 50 students. You know what I mean? Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think they'll get a good chunk of it, but I don't think everybody will move. The higher the bell you are, you think it's the, it's the harder it is to go to another school. Cause do you have a bigger target on your back? Well, I think, you you know, as you go up to the ranks, it means you've been in the game for a little bit. So you may have competed against some of the people in schools near you. You're maybe, maybe you haven't competed, but your instructor has created such a stigma with this, with another instructor. And maybe you think that because you're a brown belt, that if you go to this other school, their instructor will have a problem with you. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. there might be a little bit of that. And and I think that the other thing that can happen, and it's often not spoken is fear of not being good enough. You know, if you're a brown belt in the school and you're the top dog in your school and then the, your school closes and you go to another school and that's 
people that survived is obviously bigger or better prepared. They may have more brown belts or more black belts, and then now all of a sudden you're not the top dog. And then there's that fear of what if I'm just not good enough to survive? Yeah, it'd be awkward because you you would technically let's say you're brown belt and you go to that other school, you you're high on that pecking order technically but you don't have any any respect from anybody so you i could see how you could get a complex of like all right line up everyone or when when you're throwing people or when when there are times that you are deferred to as the person towards the top of that hierarchy you're thinking like everyone's looking at me right now like bullshit like okay like we don't like right like right. We, we haven't given you haven't earned any of our respect yet yeah you know jiu-jitsu is a very ex- accepting community but i think there's still a little bit of that stigma of you know my team versus your team and and it really shouldn't be that way have you had many upper belts who will transfer to your school and voice like concerns like that right when they when they first come no but i've i've i have over the years i've had them visit from local schools and in 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 plenty of different ways that they've expressed that feeling you know what i mean like they haven't come out right and said it because if they were capable of saying those things they wouldn't feel it you know but i think that's kind of the vibe i picked picked up from um but i see it everywhere i see it in camps too like when i teach a camp like in mexico sometimes you'll you know when you get to the upper ranks you'll get one or two things you get to the upper rank that avoid everyone avoids everyone or the one that's trying to prove it to everyone, you know? So it's not just a, a local thing. I think it translates everywhere. Okay. All right. Let's get to some questions. Uh, when, where, and what was your first official competition? Oh, man. So you're very, let's start with the win. Take us back to 1972. <laughs> no, I think I think my very very first like competition to where I could get a medal was in northeast of Brazil, and I might have been nine or ten. I was a yellow belt, I think. Do you remember what the term like? What do you remember what it was called? Oh, I have no idea. I remember <laughs> what it was though, because I remember I destroyed my jeans in that tournament too. Like, Your jeans? Yeah. So like it was. Um, the tournament was Please tell me in day. Brazil <laughs> that people wear denim geese. Is that what you're about to no. tell me? Wow. No, no, no. So, you know, I competed. Kids usually go first. I went and competed and I was done. And, you know, I was waiting the rest of the people that were there with me to, to finish competing. And um, so I changed and I, I had like like jeans on. And But anyways, the, the tournament was being held in a... Um, like an amphitheater style location. And so like an amphitheater like, huge, like outside? Yeah. And it had a huge canopy. So like basically you walked down these steps and then there was the mats and it had this canopy over the top. <laughs> and and it wasn't um, it was part of a university in northeast of Brazil and it was kinda like where they held their big ceremonies, you know. Um pretty much I got done, well on those steps on the way down, the the railing where people could hold on so they wouldn't fall was made of concrete and it was like i mean it was wide so you could run that run down it you know and i started like running and then i would like 
dropped my butt and just slide down the rest of the way. <laughs> and then like I just shredded my jeans on that thing. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Because you would run and slide down these on um, these concrete yeah, these concrete like yeah. I really wish that you were like sixteen, seventeen doing that. Yeah, no no. I was I was probably eight or nine. Okay, so what was going through the head of eight or, eight or nine-year-old Croiler before his first competition? Because most of us, the majority of us, have our first jiu-jitsu competition. We were adults. And so as an adult, you're, you're right. nervous. You're thinking like, oh, no, I, I got so much to prove. What, what, is it, what are you thinking as a child in that? You know, believe it or not, my, my concern wasn't winning. Um, my concern was just showing that I was tough. Like you know, cause that was a Gracie and that was supposed to mean something, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't care about winning or losing. I just cared that I, that was tough. And that, that was my main concern. You know, if I won an easy fight, didn't matter too much. If I lost a, a easy fight, that didn't, that, that was not good. You know, I should have fought harder or, you know, to me it was always about how, how tough am I? Like, you know, being, just being this, thing but that that was that was the only thing that went to my mind so even as an eight-year-old you still had that going through in your head of you were you were aware of i'm a gracie so i have i have a a certain oh, reputation yeah. that yeah. i have to uphold that that didn't go into later man like that was there for a long time and was it explicitly said or it was just you just knew like like from your family and stuff would they say like you're representing us, so you have to. Like, oh no, there was never any pressure from my family. I think it was more self-imposed than anything else. Mm. You know, there's obviously, you know, you, you grew up hearing all these stories of your uncles and cousins competing and fighting, and and they're being so tough, and they're always winning. These stories always come out in victories, and you just feel like you're like shit, man. Like I'm part of this thing, you know. Like I gotta, I gotta step up too, and mm. and it was just one of those things where. It didn't matter how I won. It just mattered that I had to fight well. Yeah. And when you competed, were you living, were you still living with your grandpa and family or were you, had you moved at that point? Um, I was at that stage. I was going between both, um, between my living with my grandpa. Um, I lived with my grandpa until I was nine, 10, almost 11. And then I moved, officially moved to my dad. But, um, but in the time period when I was like nine, eight, nine, 10 ish, I would spend half a year with my mom and my grandpa and half a year with my dad. What three quarters and a quarter or something like that. Okay. All right. So another competition question after, Oh no, before we get there, how did you do that tournament? I don't remember. No, truly. No, I, I think I did well because I remember getting a medal, but I don't know if I got first place or second place, to be totally honest, or third place for that matter. I know you, overall you competed a lot. Was it start competing at nine or eight and then compete a ton up until you stopped or did, did you like, did you compete and then you have a little, had a little while to, to take oh, a no, I, I compete. I competed a bunch when I was a little kid. And then when, when I was, I don't know, 11, I stopped competing and then I didn't pick it back up until I moved here 
Corporate America. And that's when I started competing a bunch more. What are the main differences that you notice between kids competing and adults competing? Um, are there differences or do you just see them as well, I mean like in what ways I mean there's tons of differences but in some ways there's a lot of similarities too it just depends on how you want to approach it you know if if, if you're talking about intensity um, kids may be more intense than the adults you, just, you, you know? see a lot of crying after like a loss with the kids well kind of you know like one of the worst things i see in competitions even today is when the kids are competing so so to me the the jujitsu and the kids like when they compete that's the most fun part of the tournament to watch is the little kids even more than the black belts because one generally speaking they're there to have fun two they're just having they have to use technique there's no there's no power in an eight-year-old you know what i mean like they can't muscle their way into something um but one of the worst things i see you know in what is generally a really cool display of jiu-jitsu is the parents man the parents are so toxic you know they they'll yell things like, oh, just break it off, you know, or, or don't tap. Don't tap to me is even worse because, like, little kids will not tap. If, if they think that their parents are going to be disappointed at them and, and their parents are yelling, don't tap, like, they won't, you know, like, they'll let it break. And people are like, oh, no, no, they wouldn't. No, little kids are tougher than, than adults, you know, like when, when you're competing – if somebody attacks your arm and you think it's going to break, it doesn't matter what I'm yelling at the corner. You know what I mean? Like you're thinking, I got to pay the bills. If like, if this breaks, I got to, I got to work. Tomorrow. Wait, I thought you know, part of the agreement of you coaching is you pay for our bills for her. No, that is not part of it. Oh, wow. I, I was lucky then. So, you know, but, but a little kid, the only concern for them is that like, are they going to love me? You know what I mean? Like, are they, you know, are they going to be disappointed in me? You know, I mean, and, and to me, like, that's the most toxic thing in tournaments for, for little kids. So I would say that children are more intense than adults because children, if push came to shove, would let bad things happen to them long before adults would. Okay. All right. And then last competition question. After a long day of competing, what was what was your favorite thing to do after that? What would you sleep? <laughs> you go home and you just crash. Oh yeah. Would you, would you like pig out? Would you like have like a celebratory meal? Um, not for, not, not until later, you know, I didn't, didn't have a lot of money. So like what, how much I ate or where I ate depended very heavily on who was buying and if I had money to pay for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mostly it was just sleeping, you know, Right. Um, later when I got into my twenties and stuff, then, then I, I could afford to like pig out because I was me cutting weight, you know, but I also had a little bit more money and, you know what I mean? Like it was a little different than, but, but yeah, for a long time it was, it was mostly just sleep. Just crash. What was your, your favorite like post competition meal when you were in your twenties? Oh, you know, I like you know, stir fry, like Mongolian barbecue, you know, or, um, or believe it or not, like breakfast items, like I could down a ton of eggs and potatoes. Mm. I know that you, your famous smoothies that you make are always, I think you go potato, 
eggs, <laughs> tomatoes, and then you take you take those those little strawberry shortcake Twinkie thick rolls and you shove those in there. You mix them up. You, you put vodka in there to mix it up to get That's it the liquid. That's not a thing. And then That's you just down thing. it. <laughs> it is not a thing. Although somebody listening, if you do try that and it's good, you got to post a video so that we can see you doing it. I think it's Gracie Diet approved, right? That is that is not Gracie Diet approved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, next one. This is this is a uh, John Danaher related question. Okay. Um, this was this is in reference to a quote he made, and it was it was uh, Gary. T- no, not Gary. T- it was a. Uh, it was he was watching a video of Cyborg. It was when he was on Joe Rogan, and he was watching. They were watching a video of Cyborg versus Gordon Ryan. They're breaking it down, and he he made he, he There's a point where he said, "The man whose feet dominate the inside position dominate the Shigarami game." Now. What what is just based on that quote? You, you maybe you need more context, but based on that quote, what what is? Can you expand on that? What do you think he means by that? Yeah, so I, I actually seen that video. Um, so he, I think he oversimplifies it a little bit. He is right that if, you know. So if I'm attacking your legs, the person's whose whose legs are inside, the other person's legs has. A hundred percent opportunity to establish Ashigurami. Um, you know, I can pull my legs inside, and if I can do that, I can get to Ashigurami. If your legs are on the outside, you will never achieve Ashigurami. But the the caveat to that is not just on the inside, but you also have to be able to get underneath their legs or behind their legs. So, you know, if you get into a position like 50-50, where both both of us have one leg on the inside and one leg on the outside, the person that wins that fight is a person who can get, you know, behind the leg as well. So I think I think it's a it's a simplified way of explaining the the leg fight game, which is true. The first step is to pummel inside and to control the inside. All right, now we are going to hop over to an Instagram DM message. <sighs> hey guys, can you send me a picture of those dicks? What? Oh no, sorry, those are that's that's the wrong message. That's the wrong message. <laughs> <laughs> this one is from. You'll remember this guy, Cajun with a K. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, you're you're a good buddy. Yeah, my good buddy. Yeah, he says, and he 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 even brings it up here. He he starts off with Cajun with a K here. <laughs> That's good. He said he and his wife are both blue belts in New Zealand, and during lockdown, they've had the opportunity to train at home. He says a question he has for you is: with this opportunity, would you recommend trying out a few different positions? or try to just focus on one area. He says, we drill our fundamentals, but like to include our new techniques here and there with so much to learn is it best that we shop around for technique and an experiment or spend this time to really get to know a specific area. Okay. So like, yeah, venture out to try to learn new things from videos or just like, be like, I know how to do arm bars. I should just do tons of arm bars. Um, so Cajun with a K. <laughs> yep. Um, 
I think I think what it comes down to it is how good of train partners you are with each other. You know what I mean? Like if 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 you guys are really good train partners and you guys are both focused and you guys are both willing to learn and make mistakes and then do all that, if you have your fundamentals down, then there would be nothing wrong with expanding. Right. And but you would need to have discipline, both of you need to have the discipline to correct one another. If you made it, if you saw a mistake or made a mistake, um, you know, if if you guys aren't that great of train partners together, then then no, stick to what you know because you're less likely to develop bad habit. You know, the the problem with drilling at home is if there's no um, if there's no oversight and you make a mistake and it's not caught or not addressed, or your train partner knows you're making a mistake but they're afraid to say something to you then you know you're going to develop a poor technique a poor habit in that technique and that's more detrimental than good so it comes down to how good train partners you guys are together if you guys are good adventure out if not stick fundamentals okay and i have one other one that i i have the question copied in my notes but i want to find the person's message so i can give them a shout out Damn, can't find his name. Oh, well. All right, this next one comes from someone who uh, I think emailed us, but I'm sorry to whoever sent this. I, I can't find that email. I just have the text that I copied into my notes. And so uh, we'll give a shout out to insert name here. Um, let's say maybe, go ahead, make up a name. This is for... John Doe. Nope, terrible name. Uh, this is for this is for Lars Mick Strawberry Bottom, um, and Lars says, Croiler, if you were brand new to jujitsu as a white belt, I think everyone who's brand new to jujitsu is a white belt. But anyways, uh, six foot three <laughs> and one hundred and eighty eight pounds. What areas would you tailor your focus to? And why these areas, especially in the early stages of learning? Um, what's his name again? Uh, Lars Mick Strawberry Bottom. Okay, Lars Mick Strawberry Bottom. Actually, it's Doctor Mick Strawberry Bottom. Just let's show him the respect. He put he went to okay, medical school. Doctor Mick Strawberry Bottom. Um, if you're tall and lanky um, and on the skinnier side, I would most definitely encourage a strong closed guard game. I think that's where you're going to be able to launch techniques that are more suited to your body style, triangles, arm bars, and platas. Um, I would also focus on half guard. Um, not that would be a beneficial technique to you. I think everybody should have a good half guard because it's probably the guard that you're most commonly in because it's the halfway point between failure and success. You know, your failure in defending your guard and, and or your success in recovering your guards so i would definitely focus on those two and then the last one would be on guard passing open guard passing because that's more common than that um the reason for that is once you develop a good close guard game and a good half guard game people are going to avoid getting on top which means you're going to have to learn to pass so you don't end up being a, a one-dimensional fighter okay thank you uh doctor Feather or uh, strawberry Mick feather, the uh, uh, Dr. Mick strawberry fe bottom something. Whoever you were, you have to change your Instagram handle to that now. <laughs> to Dr. Strawberry. 
No, Mc, Dr. Strawberry Bottom or something? Well, I don't even Dr. remember what it was now. Dr. Larry Mex Strawberry Bottom, whatever the hell it was. Go back and listen to it. Make that your Instagram handle. Send us a message so that we can screenshot that. Yeah, yeah. We, we screenshot in my life. Give you a shout out there. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll do one more listener question. And this is from our friend Craig, who is also one of our uh, sponsors from Fort Orange Brewing Company in Albany, New York. And I feel bad. I still have the t-shirt that he sent you. He sent, he sent all the stuff to me. And, and all you have left is a t-shirt. Uh, and, <laughs> and all I have left is a t-shirt. And I have a glass, too. I have a glass oh, that's also. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saving. Is it, is it clean to clean it after you used it? Oh, you're so picky. Fine, I'll clean it. <laughs> All right. Craig says, I have a tendency to be very rigid at the gym and have been working to be more relaxed or loose. I would like to believe I am past the white belt craziness, but maybe I am not. I believe part of it is in the army I believe part of it is the army in me that I am like this. Have you ever instructed or knew someone who was very rigid? How were they able to overcome this? All the time. All the time. Like 99% of the people that walk in are way too rigid. <laughs> mm -hmm. But how many of those people stop being rigid? And Well, if they, if they continue to train with me, all of them. Yeah. Um, what it comes down to it is um so the 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 rigidity comes from the excitement of grappling being new to it doing something new it also comes from not knowing what to do and having every muscle and every joint and everything like fire at the same time because you want to make sure that you're not giving any sort of weakness you know and and um, if we talk about it like on a, on like on a muscle, skeletal muscle level, if your muscles are contracting all the time, it locks your joints into place, which makes you, you know, more tippable, easier to off balance, more breakable, less flexible and so on. So the, the, the key to getting over that, I think, and, it, and I don't know, cause I kind of grew up doing this. So it's hard for me to, to know. Oh, right. Um, I think if you accept failure in that it is okay to make a mistake, it is okay to get tapped, it is okay not to get the sweep that you're working for, it is okay to throw a try to do a guard pass and get caught like it's okay to fail forward. I think if you if you adopt that mentality that, you know, mistakes will happen. And they're not necessarily a bad thing if it means that you're growing from them. And, and I think if you think that way, then all of a sudden you relax because who cares if you, you get caught? Who cares if you lose? There, there isn't that emphasis on the outcome. And, and because of that, as long as the only desired goal out of any role is to improve versus win, then, then it, it helps people relax, I think. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like in our school, we don't have that problem with people being rigid, you know. But we, when we visit other schools or, 
or when other schools visit us, we see that very often, very like rigid and strong. So, and also, I think another thing it would help you probably recommend would be drink before you roll or go to jujitsu. Just yeah, get like six, a, six, six or seven shots. Yeah, get a really stomach. a really solid buzz going, and then just yeah, walk like, into school. Yeah, like when the, the the sidewalk is moving, that's that's a good good time to walk in. Chew some gum though, and you don't want to be rude and inconsiderate and, and be breathing fumes in your in your partner's face. But <laughs> but just walk in there and and if you start to get the spins, get off the mat before you throw up because no one wants you to puke on them. But other than that, there's no downside to being drunk while you're on the mats. Right. Except I've kicked people out for that before. You have. I have. Yeah. Mm. I had I had a guy that came in. Um, for a private class and he was a regular student and he was doing a private class and he smelled the alcohol. So we told him to reschedule the private class and to make sure that he was sober next time he came in. And the next day he came in for a group class and in the locker room by himself, he made the room smell like alcohol Ooh. after he left. Right. So we were like, yeah, man, you, you can't, can't come back if you're going to be drinking this heavily and you may be going through some stuff, but you just can't, you can't train. And then he never came back. But was he rigid? No, he was relaxed. See, there you go. Like, like a limp noodle. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Those are all the questions for this, for this episode. Uh, do you have any last moment, last words? Say any jokes for the day. Well, give us a joke. Let's hear a joke. I'm horrible telling jokes. All right, let's hear a uh, let's hear an anecdote about when you were in Ohio and there was an alligator nearby you, but you had such a big cowboy hat on that it scared the alligator away. You know, that, I love Ohio. that story. Could you tell us that one? I've been to Ohio a ton of times. Never have I been to Ohio with a cowboy hat on and or ever seen an alligator in Ohio. Okay. All right. You don't want to tell us that. What about the one when you were in Albuquerque and you had that wedding dress on and you met John McCain and, and he thought to. for a second <laughs> that you were a beautiful bride and he offered to marry you to whoever your groom was. Tell us. Yeah, you no, got to tell him that one. I, I don't. I've never been to Albuquerque. <laughs> Well, I think we need to get you a couple <laughs> drinks so you're not so rigid and you start to get a little more loose lift and tell us about all these fascinating stories. Maybe if you hadn't drank all the ones that Craig sent. <laughs> or maybe he should just send more. Just saying. I'm okay with that solution. All right. Well, everyone, that is it for this week. Um, I am your host saying goodbye with other hosts saying goodbye, whose name is Riley Gracie. And this, all right, we're going to start that song we wrote now to, to, to close the episode <laughs> <What> out. <song? laughs> Thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. Okay, then you go. Sing the next, the next verse. <laughs> because we are so... <laughs> all right, fine. We'll, we're, we'll practice this more for next time. All right, goodbye, everybody. Oh, God.